Hello, this is Chris, host and game master of the Chaos Time Podcast, and you're listening to Tales of the Manicore. Enjoy. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 53 continues the battle between the party and the various individuals of the Goddard Estate. The nobleman Lucan has fallen for the party's trap and been killed instantly in an ambush, but the others are far more cautious, and, led by Sir Petrick Salomar, they devise a way to get into melee range, stripping the PCs of their advantage. The battle that follows is not a quick one, and in it, Salomar truly proves his reputation for honor and courage. In fact, by the time the PCs take him down, it's starting to get a little fuzzy who the good guys even are. Bloodied, exhausted, and with the sound of the city guard getting louder by the moment, when the battle is over, the victorious PCs disappear into the alleyways of Nepul. At the end of the chapter, the story shifts to Krell, who has returned to Whitestone Castle and finds it even emptier than before. The place has been largely abandoned, and now only a handful of guards, servants, and nobles remain inside. As Krell stares dejectedly out of Colfrey's window, the scene cuts back to Nepul. There, high over the city, and impaled on a spike, Goddard's head appears to gaze down over all that it used to govern. Chapter 51 Part 1 Day 130 Late Afternoon Party Status After natural healing and the use of two renewed Cure Light Wounds prayers from Bazu on Yellowfly for 7 points and Shawnee for 4. The party members' current hit points are as follows. Yellowfly, 19 of 30 hit points. Shawnee, 19 of 26. Jace, 19 of 37. Catsbane, 15 of 15. Bazu, 13 of 13. Spells available. Catsbane has memorized Magic Missile times 2, Web, and Mirror Image. Bazu has prayed for Bless. Great Sadam, we ask for your continued blessings, that you may guide us through the darkness. May your light shine upon us, illuminating our path and showing us the way forward. As we bask in your radiant glory, we offer our hearts and minds to your divine will. We give our humble thanks and praise to you, Sadam, for your endless mercy, kindness and love. May we continue to feel your warm embrace and bask in your glorious light for all eternity. Amen. Bazu's eyes flicked up to Jace when he had concluded, and the fighter did not say the word, Amen. 
He gently repeated it with slightly more inflection. Amen. Oh, uh, amen, said Jace, successfully reprimanded. Very good. Tomorrow I will see to your hurt. For today you should stay off your feet and reflect on the Almighty. Although Bazu had given his deity's healing grace to Yellowfly and Shane, who had both been badly hurt in the previous day's fight, he had lacked the power to do so for all, and Jace had received a grievous halberd wound to the back of his right knee. It was a wonder that they had been able to limp away before the Napulic City Watch had arrived, but thanks to Shrawl's network of agents, who'd spirited them away from the scene via certain prearranged paths consisting of alleyways, switchbacks, and a network of safe houses, they'd gotten away unseen. Now, they were waiting for word from Bromley in convalescing. The Potter's studio lacked beds, but it had been furnished with pallets. Shawnee was still asleep on hers. Yellowfly sat on his, with his back to the wall and his knees pulled up. He wore a bitter smile. Just imagine, he said ruefully, if Goddard had been willing to give his nephew or cousins, whoever that man was, if he was willing to give him a loan of 500 crowns, then just imagine how much he must have had in that strong box. He looked at the sleeping form of Shawnee inside. At least we all survived, offered Catspane. That's worth something. Yellowfly's gaze lingered on the rogue, and he nodded. Aye, it is. The money in Goddard's strongbox never did belong to him, stated Bazu, lifting a finger in the air. And now it shall be returned to those it was originally stolen from, the people of Nepul. Fear not, for all has befallen according to Sadal's will. I would spend every copper penny to see Colfrey's face when he learns what has happened here. Out, said Jace, gingerly touching his wound and wincing. <sighs> Damn leg. I won't be winning any races for a while, I should think. Yellowfly looked over and rubbed his chin. I wonder if Colfrey will even hear about it. Wasn't he supposed to be gravely ill or something of the sort? And on a pilgrimage in Camranth. Or so goes the story. Caspian smiled. Oh, I... And on a pilgrimage, too. I'd sooner believe he'd join the church. <laughs> Which one? Asked Catsbane with a laugh. <laughs> Either. Both, replied Yellowfly, now grinning broadly. The companion spent most of the afternoon resting and in conversation. After a time, the same boy who had originally brought them to the potter's workshop came to the door and, speaking the password, was let inside. His cheeks were red from the cold, and he rubbed his hands together as he explained that they had been summoned to join Bromley for dinner. The companions donned their winter clothing and followed the boy out into the streets, where they saw that, despite the cold and wind, many folk had come outside. The people of Nepul spoke in excited whispers and pointed up to the spire where Goddard's head was on display. The companions noticed, as they made their way across the city, that they saw no guards at all. Not a single one. Chapter 54 Part 2 Day 130 Late Afternoon While the companions followed their young guide to meet with Bromley, Krell was in the King's Solar, sitting at the desk but staring straight ahead into nothingness and completely lost in thought. The previous night he had once again been paid a visit by Colfrey's concubine, but this visit had been unlike the previous ones. The girl had been extremely rough scratching and biting, causing him pain that transcended erotic play and ventured deep into the territories of real violence, and she had seemed to take more delight in his distress than in giving him pleasure. Krell's body now bore bruises and lesions, and there was blood on his bedsheets. Quite a lot of blood, actually. 
Although he was sore, his thoughts were on the conversation that had taken place after their congress. This was another first, for Savan had never really spoken to him before. Yes, she had given her name once. She often whispered and sometimes grunted animalistically in a foreign tongue, but they had never actually spoken to each other. He knew nothing about her. At first, he had been curious to learn something of the concubine. Where was she from? Did she have a family? What did she do when she was not with him? He didn't want to know anymore. In truth, she was starting to scare him, and his desire for her was tempered by a growing fear of her. The conversation had been short and troubling. She had asked him to do something, but the request was baffling. She wanted Krell to bring more prisoners, specifically male prisoners, to the dungeon. Why on Merith would she request such a thing? Even stranger was that it had seemed very reasonable at the time. The last thing he could remember was the look on her face after giving his answer. Then he must have fallen asleep, for the next thing he knew, he was waking up. It was very late, and he felt that same cloudy-headed feeling he had had upon awakening in the dungeon a few days earlier. Zivan, as we now know, is a succubus. During the previous night, after amusing herself with Krell, she used her innate power of suggestion on him to try and make him restock the dungeon with more males. Of course, she wants them so that she might harvest their souls for her master, Azor Azul. Sivan is not capable of taking souls from female prisoners, and so they are of no use to her. Before writing the scene above, I rolled a pair of saving throws versus spells for Krell, who is now an 8th level fighter. The first was to resist her suggestion. He needed to roll a 12 or better, and he rolled a 12 on the nose, so he just barely found the power to refuse. This, of course, angered Sivan, who cast a sleep spell on him. This power of sleep is a custom ability I've given her, and she's used it in the past both on him and on the warden. The spell is not quite the same as the first level spell of the same name. It's more powerful, operating as a third level spell, and can affect victims of any hit die or level, unlike the lesser version. You could consider it a variation on Suggestion, or you could call it Greater Sleep, if that makes sense, though I do not plan on making this spell available to magic users as a memorizable and castable enchantment. Anyway, Krell failed his save this time and fell unconscious, while Savan stalked off to report her failure. Are you ready to rock? More importantly, are you ready to roll? Welcome to No Quest for the Wicked, an award-winning sci-fi actual play podcast using Paizo's space opera system, Starfinder. Stow away with us every other Wednesday as four best friends explore an entirely homebrew setting in a planet-hopping adventure that plunges the crew of the Maverick into a political and cosmic conspiracy that doesn't just put their lives at risk, but the system and even the whole universe. Join Merrick, the four-armed warrior in self-imposed exile as he breaks tradition and forges his own path with a passion hotter than the desert sun. Durin, a former assassin running from his dark past hoping to make a new life for himself. And Cody, an android with memory problems, an obsession with the 80s, and a desperate need to find the boy who made him. New episodes every Wednesday on NoQuestCast.com or your favorite podcasting app. Chapter 54 Part 1 Day 130 Late Afternoon Party Status The party status is unchanged. Bromley's home was a roomy A-frame structure of timber and pebble-dash cob. Following the Napulic style, it had a steeply sloped roof and scalloped gables, which gave it the appearance of an arrowhead. The first floor consisted of only three rooms, the largest of which was a dining area that featured a hearth. 
A fire blazed within, and the companions eagerly hung their snow-dusted cloaks on pegs before moving to warm themselves when they arrived. Bromley closed the door behind them and repeated his welcome. Shatun, bless you all! Truly! What a victory you have achieved! Please, please, take a seat. Let us eat and drink and celebrate. He motioned for them to take their places at a table, already set with food and drink. It smelled wonderful. Shanae, to you perhaps we owe the most. You must sit beside me so that I may hear every detail. The companions had already told the story of the assassination and subsequent ambush to Shrawl's men on the previous day. Those men had in turn informed their leader, and Bromley had heard it from him at the Pale Horse. Did you notice anything special on the way here? Bromley wore a mischievous grin. You mean, other than Lord Goddard's flying head, replied Yellowfly. He was being flip and smiled back as he said it. Yes, I mean other than that, said Bromley with a laugh. <laughs> well, I noticed a certain lack of uniforms, if that's what you mean. Exactly. Yes, after Shrawl's men helped you disappear... My people, the members of the Free League of Nepul, split the pursuing forces and led them all over the city. Some were taken on wild goose chases, while others were led into dead ends where they were surrounded, disarmed, and taken to their own prison. Within three hours, we had captured every man-at-arms in town. Nepul belongs to us now. Yellowfly's eyes went wide behind his tankard as he took a long drink of ale. That's right. The men and women of the Free League are not so bumbling as we made them believe, and were far more numerous than they could have imagined. The rebellion, my friends, has begun, and you have dealt the first blow. I thought Nepal had no barracks or prisons, said Jace, around a mouthful of food. The companions had wasted no ceremony in digging into their repast. Plates of rabbit pie with beets and buttered barley bread. True, the king's law forbids any dedicated military structures here but the magistrate's office has a small prison that can hold ten. The whole building is being used for the purpose at the moment. We'll let them go over the next few days, two or three at a time. Each man will get a pack with warm clothes and enough food to reach Westmire. Aren't you worried they'll just be reabsorbed into Colfrey's army? asked Shane. Not really. Schroll's men will see to it that they can't fight for a while. No longer smiling, Bromley held up his right fist, stuck at his thumb, and mimed breaking it. They'll be sure to carry the story of what happened here, though. That's what's important. And then what? Yellowfly wanted to know. And then Culfrey, or whoever rules in his place, will be forced to respond. The gauntlet has been thrown. Will they march on Nepule? In winter? <laughs> I'd like to see them try. Will they decide to wait until spring before they move? The lack of reprisal will make us even bolder and give us time to build our defenses. Shrawl has already sent his most loyal companion to Camerinth to announce our secession from Camertine and petition them for military support. The five of you will go down in history as heroes of the revolution. Shatoon bless you all. Shatoon bless you all. Catsbane could not get the sound of Bromley's voice out of his head when, hours later, he crawled under the sheets of his simple pallet bed back at the Potter's studio and tried to fall asleep while his companions continued to laugh and talk and drink well into the night. Even Bazu was drunk and in a mood to celebrate. When they had left his home, Bromley had insisted they take fresh bottles of wine with them so they might continue their merrymaking into the small hours. Catsbane had not been in a mood for revelry. He feigned sleepiness and had to endure some teasing before they let him retire. 
As the studio was of single room design, the young mage could not physically distance himself from the others, nor could he escape their noise. But Catsbane had been traveling with Yellowfly and the others for some time now, and he had learned how to ignore them when he wanted to. In truth, Catsbane did not turn in because he felt overly drunk, though he did feel a little sick. Actually, he had had a knot in his stomach all day, and the day before as well. He couldn't stop asking himself, had they done the right thing? Shawnee had beheaded a kindly old blind man and kicked a child to the ground. Jace had run through a night of impeccable honor. Bazu had a strong opinion on the matter, and Catsbane himself had recently had his life turned completely upside down by the whim and ire of a noble child. But he still wasn't fully convinced that they weren't the bad guys. Making things worse, the previous night had brought with it a terrible dream. It had been one of the worst nightmares of his life, and he had awoken gasping and soaked in cold sweat. Somehow he knew he would have the dream tonight too, and he was right. When sleep finally came, so did his phantasmal tormentor. In the nightmare, he was visited by his old master, Carrick Malmar. The specter wore robes of translucent white, which showed the archmage's naked and emaciated old man's body underneath. It hovered a few inches above the ground, with the yellow-nailed toes of its bare feet pointing down. The arms were held the way a mantis holds its arms, with the elbows bent and the hands limp at the wrists, close to the chest. Worst of all, Carrick's head was hanging forward, so the face was not visible. Instead, a wispy fall of stringy white hair hung down limply from the liver-spotted dome of his scalp. Even so, the phantom seemed to be looking at him. The dream ended when the ghost took hold of its own hair and pulled back so as to lift up the heavy head. Catsbane saw into its horrific firefly eyes for a heartbeat before he woke up, curled into a ball like a frightened child. Life is proving to be far more complicated for Catsbane than he could have imagined. He is used to solving metaphysical problems, but he is unused to wrestling with questions of morality. He knows the thing in his dream is not a mere creation of his anxiety, and he believes that it is not Carrick either. His suspicion is that it's the dark power from which he has received gifts of magic. Catsbane knows these offerings come at a price. So far, he has been willing to pay, but is it time to stop? Perhaps the cost is becoming too dear. Has he already crossed a line? In a different sense, he has, because today is a level up episode for the magic user. Today, Catsbane achieves level six. He'll get new hit points, a chance for stat increases, and best of all, a new spell. The roll of the dice will determine all of these, of course. But I think that when we see which spell he gets, we'll know which part of Catsbane is winning in his internal struggle. Will he return into the light or push further into the beckoning darkness? Well, we'll find out soon, but hit points first. Here's the roll. A one. Well, all right. That'll get minned out to two, and Catsbane's new total is 17. Next up are potential stat increases. Here we go. Strength. A boost here would eliminate his strength penalty. I got a four. Intelligence. Another four. How about wisdom? One. Hmm. Okay, dexterity. I've got a three. Constitution. Another one. Uh-oh. It's starting to feel like things are going bad here. Charisma. Last chance for a stat increase. A four. 
This is supposed to be my holiday season episode, too. What's up with these Scroogey dice? Hopefully there's a big present coming in the form of a cool new spell. With magic users, that's all that really matters anyway, right? Rolling a d12 against the expert rulebook list with a reminder that duplicates from this season or last will spawn a new exotic spell table. The roll. A five. What's that? Hang on. Oh, okay. Well, this is not bad at all. And it is a new one. It's haste. Let's look at the spell description. Okay, after reading it over, I see that it has surprisingly good range, lasts 30 minutes, and affects, wow, up to 24 creatures, allowing them to perform actions at double speed. The rules don't mention uses outside of combat, but I'll allow creative application of the spell if it makes sense. Of course, the spell could also be reversed. Slow could be useful. Overall, even though it's not Fireball, it is a welcome addition to Catsbane's spellbook, and it means he'll be able to participate more in combat. And speaking of combat, at level 6, Catsbane gets a plus 2 attack bonus, jumping up from 0. Furthermore, his magic missile spell suddenly becomes much more powerful. I'm sure we'll see that in action eventually. Finally, I think the acquisition of Haste indicates that Catsbane has somewhat pulled back from the lure of dark magic. The book that Shrawl gave him has a section on the manipulation of time, and after digesting its theories and ideas, he's able to devise the spell Haste on his own. Catspain was already awake and had been studying the tomes given him by Shrawl for a few hours when the others roused themselves and set about going through their usual morning routines. The chapter he had just finished rereading was entitled The Asomatous Dislocation of Time by the author, one Tewamir the Strange, if he was reading the inscription correctly. The chapter had proved to be fascinating and engaging enough to exercise the ghostly image of Carrick from his mind. As he flipped the pages back and prepared to read the chapter for a third time, Catsbane's companions began a discussion that quickly devolved into argument. Without question, we should return the money, said Bazu. He was referring to a purse containing not less than 2,000 gold pieces Bromley had provided as payment for their services. I'm not sure we're of accord on this one, though I suppose you can do whatever you wish with your own share, Bazu, said Yellowfly, frowning. I spilled quite a lot of blood for this. I'm with Bazu, said Shane. I've no use for that much money. These nobles are like house cats, but worse. They just lie around all day grooming themselves, and they don't even hunt mice. Well, I'll not stop you from returning your portion either, Shane. Jace looked from Yellowfly, with whom he agreed, to Bazu, who had promised to heal his injured knee this morning, but had not yet done so. Wisely, he kept silent. I propose that, at the very least, we take out a couple of hundred coins each for the families of Tamlin and Cole. Can we at least agree on that? Nobody argued with this. Even Jace and Bazu, who had never met either man, understood the importance of honoring and supporting their respective families. Good. That leaves 360 crowns apiece. Yellowfly had always been quick with sums. Each may count out their share and do with it what they will. Keep it. Spend it. Give it back. Throw it into Blue Heron Lake if you're so inclined. Well, said Bazu, straightening in his chair. I shall give my portion to the church and instruct them to distribute it among the poor. Take my portion too, said Chane. How much is that, Yellowfly? 720, replied the fighter automatically. And how about you, Catsbane? What will you do? Catsbane looked up from the pages he was reading. Hmm? What will you do with your share of the reward? He hadn't been paying much attention, and answered honestly. Reward? Oh, um, I... I hadn't given it much thought, to be honest, Shane. The rogue crossed her arms over her chest, 
huffed, and turned back on the perplexed wizard. Jace, she demanded. Jace's eyes flicked to Bazu. I, um, I shall return half of my share, he said carefully, his eyes studying the cleric's face. When Bazu did not reprimand him, he continued, The other half is for my family. You've all seen how much they need the help. Shawnee pressed her lips together and considered for a moment, then nodded curtly. Fly, I hope you'll reconsider. She left it at that, and the companions continued to busy themselves with the various mundane activities. To Jace's relief, Bazu did minister to his hurt knee, and, after saying a prayer over it and laying his hands on the afflicted limb, the pain was much reduced, and he could bend it with far more ease. In the late afternoon, they all left the potter's studio to visit the horse for Bromley's instructions. Outside, the day was crisp and bright. The streets were almost empty now, and the town felt oddly quiet. Lord Goddard's head, withered like an old apple by now, by time and the elements, was still aloft, impaled on the spire-top spike. After a time, the companions rounded a corner that put them in view of the big tavern. Fluttering above the horse was a flag that had not been there before. It bore the image of a white fish on a split background of blue and green. A light wind rippled the silk it was made from, which lent the fish an appearance of swimming in place. As they drew closer, it became apparent why the streets were so quiet. The horse was packed with town folk, and when the party entered, the crowd threw up such a cheer that it knocked dust loose from the rafters overhead. Happy, happy holidays, everyone, and thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you're enjoying the show and would like to give it the gift of your support, there are lots of things you can do to help. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and repost announcements on social media. You can pick up any of my little wares on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. I feel extremely lucky to have such a supportive bunch of people behind me. At this time, I'd like to share a couple of your kind reviews. These two were both posted on YouTube by Liam Brennan, 7410, and Aaron, Q64. Liam Brennan, 7410, says, Tale of the Manticore is one of those podcasts I have to resist liking before I listen to it. And Aaron Q64 comments, Love Tale of the Manticore. No in-jokes or time-wasting. Entertaining interludes, great voice work, and an intriguing storyline. Best podcast in the business, I'd recommend for all TTRPG fans. Thanks very much to both of you. Liam Brennan, 7410. Hey, no one's looking. You go ahead and hit that like button any old time. And Aaron Q64, thank you very much for your generous praise. Speaking of praise, let me show some love to my great cast of actors. In this episode, we get the usual trifecta of fantasy goodness from Tumbledog Games. I am, of course, referring to Andy, Kevin, and Kyle in the roles of Bazu, Jace, and Kazbane. Also returning to the show is Chris Hussey, playing Bromley. Chris is one of the three authors behind the flash fiction podcast, Bite Sized Tales. Dot, another Tale of the Manticore alumnus, is one of the authors as well, by the way. You can listen to their short stories at bitesizetales.com. For listeners who'd like to get in touch with me, I'm at Manticore Tale on X or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. And there's always email, taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff, like art, maps, tables, crafts, and show notes. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore. The story were chaos. If you love anime and D&D, check out Warlock. 
It's the story of me, Nova Ravenwood, a young woman born without magic who forms a pact with a mysterious being for power. Set in a fantasy world of adventure, dragons, and powerful sorcerers, the story unfolds like an anime for your ears. And don't forget about our muscular hunk of a classmate, me, Ren. Too bad this is audio only, otherwise you could see that I'm flexing my arms off over here. Are you seriously interrupting the ad? You moron! Sorry, we'll get out of your way. Wait, 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 hang on. I haven't even told them about my amazing powers. I guess I should describe myself a little bit more first. First thing, I don't wear a shirt. Thanks, Briar! Join the quest and listen to Warlock wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit warlockpod.com for more information.